It's good to be with you this morning uh, to preach from Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to turn there and uh, stand and we'll read God's word together. From Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17 through 24. Um, I believe in the sovereignty of God and I don't believe there's ever a text in the history of his church that uh, doesn't fulfill its purpose each Sunday morning for whoever is there to receive it and to hear it and to apply it to their lives. So uh, for some reason, God wants you and me to hear this particular word at this particular time uh, in your life and my life. So may we uh, pay attention and give attention to the reading of God's uh, holy infallible word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old, your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true holiness, true righteousness, and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So as, uh, as I talk with people around uh, the country on a weekly basis, really, and sometimes around the world, uh, there seems to be this common perspective among followers of Jesus right now. And, and that perspective is that the past few years um, have created a seismic shift culturally. And what I mean by that, I don't want to sound overdramatic, uh, but I, I believe there's two major aspects of that that are true that seem to be a common theme. Uh, is one is that the church can no longer assume or presume influence in our world. The key word there is we cannot presume it. Number two is that we can no longer be passive. I'm going to say a phrase and some of you are going to freak out a little bit. There's going to be some hard stuff that I say this morning uh, I told Jimmy before I preached, I said, man, if you go through what I've been through this week, every time before you preach, I'm going to pray for Jimmy more because uh, Satan attacks. Um, so I'm going to say a phrase that's a little shocking, and some of you are not going to like it. But it's time to go to war. And what I mean by that is uh, not, I'm not talking about culture wars uh, let me just give you a little bit of a testimony of this. I think for too long as a, as a parent, and even as a pastor, kind of had this, uh, 
you know, when Rebecca and I were talking about this earlier, like uh, earlier in the week, when I was being raised, it was like, you know, summertime especially, like morning time would come, I'd wake up, I'd be gone the entire day. My parents would have no idea where I was. I'd show back up in the afternoon, have some lunch, and I'd be gone again all day, playing in the woods, wherever. Um, and my, my mom and dad were, were great. My parents were divorced, so I was mostly raised by my mom. But um, there was kind of this passive parenting, I guess, if you will. Not in a, like, neglectful way. It was kind of like, you know, if I take my kids to church and we read the Bible together and we pray together, then everything's going to turn out okay. And it was kind of just assumed that your children would turn out all right. Um, that's no longer true. Uh, the same means are there, but I think I'm adding one to that in my life as a parent. That is, yeah, I want to read the word with my kids. I want to uh, spend time in prayer with them. I want to lead them to Jesus. But the one I'm after now is I'm attacking evil purposefully, not passively. Um, and that's, there seems, if, if we could just think about the counseling industry for a moment, uh, the, the depths to which counselors are going to unpack people's life for them to help them is, not, is no longer just uh, kind of the Jay Adams model of hey, let me give you some scripture. This is kind of how the gospel teaches you to live. This is what God says about sin. Therefore, kind of go and live this way. That needs to be done in counseling. But there's also this unpacking of, uh, of trauma. There's this unpacking of, of psychological struggles. There's this unpacking of, of physiological uh, things in the brain that need to be rewired through EMDR methods and different things. Right? There's all this mountain of stuff that counselors encounter nowadays. And it's, not, it's no longer as simple as it used to be. And some of you guys that are, have older kids and like they're gone away from the home, you're probably going, oh yeah, Robert Stike's finally living my life. What I lived and when my kids were that age, it hasn't changed. It was always that way. It's always hard. Right? But there is this, uh, there is this sense in which... Uh, the church is losing ground and the evil is gaining ground in our culture. So, I personally am on a campaign to attack evil. And I'll unpack that a little bit with you uh, this morning. So what does it look like this morning to take Paul's assessment of his culture when he says... Now this I say and testify in the Lord, or in some ways he's, uh, he's saying I insist in the Lord, one translation says. Like Paul is saying this with deep compassion and deep sincerity to the church at Ephesus. And think about the, the way that he's attacking this. Now, that I, now this I say and testify in the Lord. Like he, in other words... I want you to take this moment and cultural moment in history very seriously when he says, 
You no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So um, there's an urgency to Paul's words here. Who are the Gentiles? Well, the Gentiles are those, uh, those who are non-Jews in his world. Um, they're really smart, talented, Greek philosophers, incredibly intelligent. Some would say of their day they were the cultural elites. The Gentiles are those who either haven't heard of Jesus or they've outright rejected Jesus. Ones who reject kind of the the world plan of, the, of what God has and kind of follow their own plan uh, in, the, in the world. They're seeking things for themselves, pathway, pathways of life to find life outside of the pathway of Jesus. So a Gentile is, is anyone who, in our world, is anyone who is outside of Jesus Christ who's seeking their own pathway. You could probably define it a million ways. Um, Gentiles, in a, in a sense, are the main cultural current of our day. Perhaps the cultural elites, they set trends for culture. They, they move our culture in certain directions. Um, and Paul goes into this, this section on how do, how do the Gentiles live? So look with me at the text and look how he breaks down how the Gentiles live. He says, you must no longer... Walk as the Gentiles do. Very serious. In the futility of their minds, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So there's, I want to I pull up a drawing for you. Um, something I just wanted to just... Just to show you, I want to put this sermon kind of in, in a few drawings, and hopefully I'll be able to fit them all on one page if I calculate my circles correctly. So if we were to map out kind of the Gentile life, Paul said, can you all see that okay? Oh, sweet. My handwriting's not the greatest in the world, so forgive me. So first thing he says there, they're, they're darkened, or they're, they're in the futility of their minds. So their thinking is futile. In other words, they, there's no purpose behind it. Their, their view of the world is, is not the same view that those who have been redeemed by Christ have. So I want you to think about this. Think about our world culture right now, our cultural moment. And oftentimes we act... As followers of Jesus, when we see these, the futility of the thinking in the world right now, we um, either grow angry or we're confused, like, how is this possible? And Paul's saying this is what it looks like for those who don't follow Jesus. They're following the futility of their minds because their understanding is darkened. They don't understand any other pathway. So when a friend of mine is describing uh, that... Uh, a student at uh, a local high school comes in, and one day they're female, the next day they're male, and then the next day they're a cat. And they don't speak. They only do what cats do. And we're, I'm like, 
how have we gotten there? Like, like it really is true. So, so now counselors are working with, what's it? I can't remember the word, pan, pan, what is it? Pan something. Pan gender, yeah. You can kind of be anything you want for the day. And we listen to that and we're like, dude, that's just messed up. That's crazy. Right? Um, but they're futile in their thinking. And it says that they're darkened in their understanding. They're hard of heart. Right? There's, there's all these characteristics. It says that they're calloused. Right? There's this, and I think the, these, this hardening of the heart, this callousness, right, can best be summarized by the word cynical. There's a cynicism about the nature of our culture that is everything is, is, is going wrong and everything's bad. And you may even go, man, Robert, you're making it sound cynical this morning. Uh, there's a cynicism that's growing in our culture. And part of that is the aspect of the impact on younger generations. There's a, a sensuality to it. I'll come back to that. And Paul says they're, they're greedy for all kinds uh, of impurity. So I'll come back to that in a few moments. Uh-oh. Oh, that was Rachel's. Sorry. Um, yeah, so, so let, me, let me just give you, I just want to sit in one. I, we don't want to have time to unpack everything, but that, we'll go back to that drawing in a minute. That's, that's what Paul says, this is how you're no longer to walk because you're no longer darkened into your understanding. Your mind is no longer futile. Your thinking is no longer futile, right? There, you no longer have a hard heart. You're no longer to be calloused, right, to all those things. But there's one area he says, he says in particular that they give themselves up to the sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I just want to give you a few statistics on pornography. All right, talk about attacking evil. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to pornography sites. The average visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. There are around 42 million pornographic websites. Totals around 370 million pages of pornography. The pornography industry produces more revenue than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball all combined. 47%, half of all families in the United States, report that pornography is a problem in their home. It increases marital infidelity at the rate of more than 300%. Here's a shocker. At the age of 11 is the average age that someone is exposed to pornography for the first time. 90 4% of children will see pornographic material before they're age 14. 
56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Do not walk as the Gentiles do in sensuality and practice every kind of impurity. They're greedy for it. We'll go back to some more statistics in a few moments because I want to get to the positive aspect of this. So Paul kind of lays out the realities of this is what a Gentile looks like. And he says with passion and with hope, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And I love this verse. I told Jimmy, thanks for teeing this up for me. But that is not the way you learned Christ. What does Paul have in mind here? What does he have in mind here? Because part of us in our kind of gospel-centered world and our gospel-centered language, we would expect Paul to say, well, that's not the way that you learned the gospel. Sometimes I think that we need to kind of put on the brakes and define the gospel more clearly because the gospel at the center of what the gospel is, is a who. It's a person. The gospel is a person. And, and every commentary I wrote uh, expressed this amazing point that this is the, most, this is the only place in the New Testament this, this unique phrase is used, that you've learned a person. That you and I have been redeemed and called to Christ, and we've learned a person. Paul goes on to say, assuming that you have heard about him, you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So he's saying, in other words, the truth is in this person that's been embodied, that's taken on flesh and dwelt among you. He's become a real breathing person, and you've learned from him. I love the idea of this kind of oral tradition, Uh, they've heard about him, right? You've heard about him and were taught in him, right? It goes back to what Jimmy has preached earlier, that they've been taught in him through the apostles, the the teachers, those who have have been equipped, that are are to equip those in the church. They've heard about Jesus through this, and they've heard about who who he is as a person. I think they're early enough on, we're 2,000 years later, you kind of lose the sense of what someone is like as a person until you kind of read a biography about them or something, and you can get a clue into that. Well, the Gospels aren't a biography, but there is biographical material in there, and we can get to know Jesus as a person. What is he like as a person? All right, so back to our screen sharing. I'm going to take some, some questions from you guys or some thoughts from you guys. So... What is the person of Jesus like as a person? Give me some from the audience. Audience, congregation, sorry. That sounds weird. Give me some. What's Jesus like as a person? Okay. Very good. What else? Merciful. Merciful. Compassionate. Yeah, keep going. Wise. Authoritative. That was a long one. Wise. Yes. What's he like as a person? Keep going. 
Joyful, yes. We could keep going, right, for days. I love this. That means that, right, all those things y'all said and more, we forgot one of the big ones. Right? Above all, he is love. Yeah, there, so think about, think about all the things that you've learned about the person of Jesus. All the vast knowledge that you've been given as you've grown up in the church, as you've grown up in your home, you've learned Christ. Look at the difference between these two lists. Paul says, you're no longer to walk as the Gentiles do. Why does he say that? Because you've encountered the most extraordinary person that's ever lived, who's done the most extraordinary thing that's ever been done. The salvation of people who were once Gentiles and have now been redeemed. You know him to be one who's filled with mercy, filled with compassion, who has authority who is wise, creative, perceptive, humble, powerful, joyful, gentle, lowly. He has no sin in him. The list could go on and on and on. Paul is saying here with the most clarity that he can say, this way that the Gentiles are living, why would he say don't walk as the Gentiles do anymore? Probably because some in Ephesus were still walking as the Gentiles did. So the question for us is, how much am I walking in the way of the Gentiles still? And is it worth it to follow after Jesus? Look at the things that Jesus offers us. Look who he is and what we can learn from him. The truth is in him. What an amazing person. What an amazing Jesus we serve. So, Paul gives us these beautiful attributes of Jesus. Why learn him? Is it, is it worth it? He goes on to say this. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So you no longer walk as the Gentiles do, but you walk as Jesus walked. Okay, here's the simplicity of this, right? If you don't know how Jesus walked, you can't really follow him. Everybody agree? It's pretty straightforward. I've told you all this numerous times in my life. I didn't really know how Jesus walked until a few years ago. And now I feel like I'm actually following someone, right? To get to know him as a friend, Unpack his life. Look in the Gospels and the, all throughout the scriptures. It just gives you every detail of, the, of who this Jesus is. How have you learned him? He says to put off the old self. Paul says put off the old self. How has Jesus changed your understanding of the world? Right? Get to know him and what it means to love. 
what it means to, to walk in his footsteps. What are, do you know Jesus well enough to call him your friend like you would know your best friend? And what are the cadences of his life? Like, how does he interact with people? Watching the Gospels, how he just walks up and interacts with someone. Watch how he interacts with even his enemies who are after him to kill him. All right, we can learn how to love our enemies by watching him. Watch the way he, he just asks a question and watch the way he, he just sometimes just looks at people with his eyes. Watch the way he, he gives like this, the insane wisdom of Jesus when he's interacting with someone and he uses a parable that they're going to understand so that he can bring a truth into their life. Like all those different myriad of ways, we're supposed to stand in awe of Jesus and know him so well that what happens is that we become like him and we begin to look like him. And that's what Paul is getting at, that when you learn Jesus, it changes you, right? Jesus is not an academic exercise. Jesus is not someone who we just get to know and like read in a history book in the Gospels and we get to know a bunch of facts about him. He's someone that, like, when we learn him, he starts to change us and we become like him. But we can't become like him if we don't learn him and know him. So, what does it mean to love? What does it mean to absorb slights? What does it mean to handle conflict? How do we handle our sexuality? How do we understand our world? We can learn all of those things by watching Jesus. So we have a new wisdom from him as to how life works, right? We're no longer ignorant and our hearts are no longer hardened. We're no longer darkened in our understanding. We're no longer to be people who are cynical about the world, but people who are hopeful. We of all people should have hope. Because we have Christ at the center. We of all people are the ones who should be sexually pure among those in our culture. So the question becomes, do you have any remnants of the old man in you? Do you have any remnants of the the things of the old Gentile life, if you will. I want to share some kind of shocking statistics with you. I know you, this is not a sermon on pornography, but I do feel like the church as a whole, uh, it's an area that we don't address enough. And I'll tell you why. Here's some statistics for you for pornography use in Christ's church. Paul says, you are not to walk as the Gentiles do. But we all have these remaining pieces of our lives that continue to dabble. Like, I'm going to keep one foot in that Gentile world and one foot in learning Jesus. I really don't want to drag that other foot over here and walk in purity. Here's some scary statistics. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the past 12 months. 
68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults 18 to 24, 76% are actively searching porn on a daily, weekly basis. Attack evil. I don't know how more clearly, I mean, maybe this, the only thing you hear out of this is I go home and like I put all my cell phones under a sledgehammer and my computers and destroy them all. I don't want you to do that. But attack evil. It's the pornography use in industry is destroying a generation. I'm not overhyping that. We don't know what the impacts of it is are going to be on marriages. Your kids that are here right now, the vast majority of them sitting here right now have already been exposed to it. And counselors are now saying that early exposure at the age of 11 is the average actually creates trauma in their brains because they're not old enough to process it. And they're too scared to talk about it. So kids, sorry if this becomes a really uncomfortable lunch for you. (laughs) But parents, attack evil. Quit being passive about it. You think your kid's exempt? They're not. Evil is seeking to destroy your household, especially because you claim to follow Jesus. Satan's after you, and he's after your kids. I'm not giving him more credence than he deserves, but he's after in this primary way. Let me finish a few of the statistics. Fifty-nine percent of pastors said that married men seek their help for porn use. We want you to do that if you're here this morning and you struggle with it. Men, women, the growing statistics for women's use of pornography is astounding. And the vast majority of it is violent pornography that that women are looking at. Come to Jimmy, come to myself, one of the elders. We want to help. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn, only 13%. That means that 87% of Christian women have watched porn. 55% of married men, 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. 69% say porn has adversely impacted the church. Again, when Paul says don't walk 
in the ways of the Gentiles, and he mentions the sensuality of greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Is that one area, I picked one area of our cultural moment that is vastly overwhelming and destroying lives left and right. Are you attacking evil? Are you mortifying those desires of the flesh? May God give us grace to attack that, to actively go after it and not passively sit by anymore and think that it's all going to work itself out in the end. It's destroying lives. So, as you think about putting on the new self, right? The new self in Christ is to know him so well that you begin to act like him and that the desires of your heart, the fleshly desires that you've learned Christ so well that those things begin to fade in the distance. I'll share a brief testimony of pornography use in my own life. The Spirit prompted me to share this with you, that three years ago, I never dabbled in like serious pornography, but the worst pornography there can be in everyone's world, probably in this room that has Instagram, is a search bar on Instagram. Just type in anything. Don't type in anything. <laughs> it is type, type a word in. Pictures just galore, right? No one's invented a social media platform yet where I can just communicate with friends and family. I know you can have private accounts on Instagram, but the search tab is still there. So you're not a scared. Covenant Eyes doesn't pick it up. It's on its own platform. You can't block it. So probably three years ago, I stopped dabbling in one foot in the world of my sexuality, I don't really want to give that to God. And I can promise you, I go to stuff, you know, you're talking about promise keepers, you can go to all these things. You can, you can even memorize scripture, which I encourage you to do to overcome the desires of the flesh, lust, whatever. But it wasn't until... I started to get to know Jesus as a person. That that all changed in my life. I started to fall in love with Jesus. And then when the temptation to look again came, you know what the Spirit said to me? He said, Jesus is your friend. Why would you want to do this? As a pastor in a church, dabbling. I was one of the statistics. It's, there's something profoundly shaping and different that happens when you know Jesus intimately and in person. It transformed that piece of my life. I haven't looked at anything in three years. 
How long has it been for you? I know this is like seriously heavy stuff. But Paul Miller and I were talking this week and his son John and just flabbergasted that the church is not attacking this evil that's affronting and assaulting our families. We want to help. I probably opened up a gigantic can of worms, but there's something. <laughs> Jimmy and I didn't even talk this week about this sermon, and Jimmy puts this verse in, in, the, in the bulletin, Luke 640. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Learn Christ, and you will by his grace and the power of the Spirit, become like him. And you'll begin saying no to those temptations. You'll begin viewing the world differently. It will transform the way you do life. One, of, one, one person says this, that you're, the point of entering an, an apprenticeship with Jesus is not necessarily to learn more doctrine nor more fully to follow out a life direction already taken. But to learn Jesus is to begin and to become something quite new. Do you want to become someone new? Then just spend time getting to know Jesus in his word. Get to know him as a friend. That's the promise that Paul is getting at with his people, that you will become this new person, right? Let me just, let me just finish this drawing here. That there's kind of this, right? Now here you are, the new self. And you also start to become merciful. You also start to become compassion. The Spirit works humility in you. You start to love truth. Right? You use your creativity to his glory. You become a person of love. Right, all these things. And then we kind of have these these broken ones, right? Our sexuality is one of those. Like, man, Jesus, we that seems to be one I need you to heal. What are the ones that kind of have those squiggly lines <laughs> in your life? But look at the like if you can look at the difference, if you can read that scribble. You only the difference between the Gentile and the new self. What, are, what things would characterize you in there? Let me finish by reading just one verse out of Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This is what's astounding. These are, these are guys that have been with Jesus for a long time, for three and a half years. They get arrested Peter and John, 
And this is the testimony. They give a testimony before the rulers and the elders, and this is what the rulers and elders say about them. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's cool. That's really cool. That's what it means to go from being one who walks like the Gentiles to one who walks with Jesus. Is that others can come to you and say, I can tell that you've been with Jesus. May God give us the grace and the power of his spirit to do that and to be that way. Let me pray for us. Jesus, um, I would dare say that uh, everybody in this room, Lord, unless our hearts have grown calloused and hard, which is possible that those aspects of the Gentile realm are part of us still, that we may not really want to become like Jesus. And so, Lord, if I pray that there is someone here this morning that they would rather just stay in the world as a Gentile separated from God, I pray that your spirit would break through this morning and that they would see the attributes and the characteristics that they could learn in Christ will then become theirs. What a beautiful picture of, of new life. So you give them freedom. And Lord, I pray this morning that there is no doubt many here that are bound in the shackles and the chains of pornography use. And it's probably, uh, most likely, something that they've never sought help for because the shame is just too much. The embarrassment, the shock to their spouse or their kids would just be too hard. Lord, sin that grows in the dark is like a cancer that kills. So Holy Spirit, would you give that man, that woman, that child courage to bring it to the light so that you can redeem and rescue. Lord Jesus, help us to be ones who long to walk as Jesus walked and to learn from him and to know him so well that when sin crouches at the door and when the desires and the passions of the flesh crouch at the door, we'll say, no, I can't do that to my friend. We're too close. I love him too much. May you do that in all the little intricacies and the sins that so easily entangle us, as Brian prayed for me before, untangle us from those things that bind us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your word and giving us new life when we truly sit at your feet and learn from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.